Would you turn now to that second reading that we had in the Old Testament in the prophecy of Zechariah? And we may read from verse 9 of chapter 12, Zechariah 12, verse 9, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. <coughs> and particularly just the words at the beginning of verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. <coughs> this uh, prophecy has many things in it that are stand out. And one of these is, I'm sure that you'll know the term the Lord of Hosts. And it's a title that is used over 40 times in this book of Zechariah, the idea of the Lord, the ruler of all, the Lord of Hosts, the hosts of heaven, the angels, and of course in the earth as well. Another interesting uh, term that is found in the book as well is the term in that day. It is used six times in this chapter and 20 times, over 20 times in the book of Zechariah itself. In that day. Obviously without looking forward to another day that was to come. So we see then in it that God the Lord, the Lord of hosts, who is seen as sovereign and ruling, and also reminding the people through Zechariah of another day that is coming. A day that they can look forward to. A day that we can also look forward to. A day of judgment for some and a day of blessing for others. Indeed, in one sense, maybe it can even be seen from this time of Zechariah onwards looking to the great gospel age day. But here in this chapter, it points to the deliverance of Judah and the Spirit poured out despite the great opposition to the Lord's people, that they are not left to themselves. We see particularly in the first nine verses or so, the, all that is going on there, that there's going to be a warfare, a battle. And then we come to verses 9 and 10 and Verse 9, it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem and I will pour upon them the house of David and to whom happens Jerusalem, spirit of grace and supplication. We can see the link that is there. And friends, is it not true that we also live in a similar day, in a similar age, <laughs> an age of much opposition against the things of God? A day when there seems to be enmity on every side. But also, we can also look for better days. 
and we can also have confidence in the Lord of hosts and that there will be an ultimate deliverance for the people of God. And that, friend, should encourage us in difficult days, as we say. There is also, of course, and we wouldn't have time to go through all that today, but the idea of 10 to 14, the idea of the pierced one that is recognized in that day for who he is, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we could think of that also, maybe as the time of, whom I said earlier, Christ's appearance in the world. We don't know how Zechariah and those who he was writing to understood that, to what extent, but surely they would be encouraged at least that there was a great day coming. In that day, things are going to be different. Things are going to be better. And that also, friends, should encourage ourselves here this morning. And so, first of all, then, let us consider for an encouragement, who is making this promise? Who is making this promise? Well, verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David the I here, the I am, the Lord himself, the Lord, the one that we spoke about, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah, the eternal one. This is not just something that we cannot trust. This is not someone that we don't have and no need to believe in. It is God himself. And so the promise comes. And it comes to the people of God. It comes to us all, to us today. And here he is, friends. There's an assurance here for us. An assurance that the Lord will be with us. An assurance that he himself knows our situation in this world. We may find at times that we are struggling so much. We may find at times that how we're going to continue, how we're going to persevere. But friends, when we remember that the Lord is the one who is spoke, spoken about here and to us as well. And we can be assured that his and our enemies are sure to be ultimately conquered. You see, friends, this is one war that we will not lose because the Lord is in it and the Lord is with us in it. And so our difficulties and our trials and our tribulations now, we have to remember we're not alone in them if we are the Lord's people. He has a purpose for us. He has a purpose for each and every one of his people. He has a purpose for his cause in this world. You see, friends, while we do at times find it difficult to go on, we have to remember this is not just a a hopeful promise. This is not God saying, so maybe this will happen. So often in our own lives, well, we hope that this works out. Maybe this will be how things will be. It's not like that here. There is nothing of a maybe in the situation. The guarantee is ours because of who says it. It is God. I, he says, will pour out. I will do it. It is the Lord himself that is on our side. And friends, he will overcome. You and I would never overcome our difficulties and never overcome even sin without the enabling of the Spirit of God. But he, in his people, and he himself will guarantee and will assuredly overcome us all. We can be assured of that. Assured of that. He will ensure our spiritual safety 
at the end of the day, what does it matter if anything else comes our way? What does it matter even if we lose our bodies because our souls are with him? He knows his own. And I said, you and I may tremble some days as we feel the heat of the battle. We may wonder, will I survive? Can I get through this? How are things going to work out for me? But friends, if God is for us, as Paul writes in Romans 8, who then can be against us? If the Lord of hosts is for us, if the I am is for us, who then can be against us? How can I be sure I am safe? Well, my friend, this is what we have to do. It is written. And what are we going to do? We've got to lay hold of the promises of God. We have to lay hold of what Scripture lays before us. Every day we have to lay hold of the promise of God. And the promises are to every believer in the world. There is not a believer, there is not a Christian in the world who cannot lay hold upon the promises of God in Scripture. Because that is where there is assurance. Do you remember the words of the Lord Jesus to Peter regarding the church? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That word prevail, the idea of overcoming. The gates of hell will not overcome. It is not that there's not a battle. It is not that they won't, there won't be a, and we see that all the time, as if there, there is a, a determination. But they don't know and understand the Lord of hosts loves his church. And the Lord of hosts loves his people. And he loves you and I if we are his. And so the enemy will not overcome. He is the one who is making this promise. How will it not because of who God is? The I am here, the I here, the Lord of hosts Jehovah. Friends, if we would we not be more effective Christians, as Christians in the world around us, if we would remember, maybe more than we do at times, who is on our side, or better still, on whose side we are on. If we would remember, we are the Lord's. Christ died for our sins. He suffered in our Roman stead. He bought us at all what price. Will he now let us go? Will we now be allowed to be trampled underfoot by the enemy? Absolutely not. Maybe in this life we will go through, as I said, <coughs> difficulties and troubles, but ultimately we will prevail. This is the promise of Scripture in the, by the Lord himself. We know, friend, who's on our side. It is what is round through the whole of Scripture. Another asked at one time, who is on the Lord's side? Question to yourself and I today. Who is on the Lord's side? And if you're on the Lord's side, friend, you're assured that the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. We read in if we looked on into the book of Malachi in the next last book, we have the exhortation there, prove me now, says the Lord of hosts. Test me. Prove me. What does he say? Prove me. Test me to see if I'm not but true to my word. 
Bunda friend, when was the last time you tested or proved the Lord in that way? When was the last time you took him as it were at his word? Oh, but you see, I'm afraid to be presumptuous. Would that not be presumptuous of me? Indeed it would be. And you could be presumptuous if you didn't have the warrant of Scripture. But you have the warrant of Scripture. You have the assurance of his word. You can lay hold of his promises. We can prove him. We can test him and we'll find him true to his word because of who he is. We read in Hebrew, he is faithful that promised. We read in, in, in Paul's letter to Second Timothy, what he speaks to, he abideth faithful, <coughs> he cannot deny himself. These are wonderful promises, and there's many, many more of them. And friends, whatever else we doubt, whatever else you doubt about yourself and your situation, never doubt his word of his faithfulness. It is all ye and amen in Christ Jesus. Many promises we have in his word. And when you and I lay hold and believe the promise, what are you doing? You're as it were laying hold upon himself because he is in the promise. And that is your assurance. And this is the one then who makes the promise. The I, the great I am. I will pour out the house of David. The Lord of hosts, Jehovah, Jehovah himself. He is the one who makes the promise. God himself. And then secondly, in more detail, or very briefly at least, but to whom is it made? Who is the promise made of? I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Do you see who it covers? The idea here seems to be, according to how many, most of the commentators see it at least, from the royal household, the house of David, to the ordinary person in Jerusalem. You see what he is saying here. The gospel promise, the salvation of the Lord, reaches out to all, to any and all who will lay hold of the promise. It is not just to some and not to others because of who they are. It will reach to all who will believe and trust in him. This is the hope that we have here, not exclusively for the great and the privileged, not just for the so-called religious people and the good, but for any and all, for you and I, when we believe in Christ. And dear friend, are you not glad of that this morning? That that is so for yourself. You see, there are the, we read in the, in the New Testament of the Philemons and the Onesimuses, the servants and the important people. But the same Christ was theirs. The same God. <coughs> it, it, it transcended across the boundaries of the rich and the poor, and it does to this day, friends. It is made to any and all. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has a touch Philemon and a touch Onesimus, and it touches you and I if we are the Lord's today, if we trust in the Lord today. Remember what Peter puts elsewhere, God is no respecter 
of persons. In other words, Christian, it doesn't matter what your status is in this life. It is with faith in God the promises to us, if that is so for us. So Christian, today you are the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today. You can and should lay hold on these glorious promises for yourself. This is the hope that we can have. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That is what we can today do, all of us here, to believe in Christ and to know these promises for ourselves. It is said, uh, Arthur Pink in his writing said, because God, it is because God has promised certain things that we can ask for them with the full assurance of faith. Because God has promised certain things that we can ask for them with the full assurance of faith. He has promised it. Why should we doubt it? He has said it. Why won't we believe it? So the believer, every Christian, is of the house of David, of the inhabitant of the spiritual Jerusalem. The promise is to you and I, the friends. It is to all who will come to him and believe. So we see who has made it, to who it is made, and thirdly, what specifically is promised here? Well, in our text, the spirit of grace and of supplications. The spirit of grace and of supplications. It seems the word grace and supplications here, they were the same Hebrew root, but they're different. Note also here that the word spirit, that is translated really, and can translate, if you like, with a capital S, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is promised. The Spirit is promised to enable us to pray. And all God's children, as we said earlier, are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. It's the gift of God. It's not something we can be earned, not because of who we are in and of ourselves, but it is promised by himself. And so the Holy Spirit, indwelling the believer, gives you that um, spiritual ability or spiritual capacity to pray in the right spirit. You see, we can only pray aright when we receive from himself. And what we receive from himself, we offer up and are guided by that in our life. And so the spirit of grace, it, it produces in the mind of man the experience of the grace of God, which then has you aware of your sin and guilt. But not only that, but also brings you to an awareness of your sorrow, which leads to repentance. So it's all bound up in that. It, like everything else to do with our salvation, friends, it is all of grace. It is of the grace of God. And note else, something else here, before we go into more detail. The Spirit is not given reluctantly or in half measure. I will pour upon the house of David. I will pour it. Do you see the idea here, friends? It is this amazing truth. It is gushing out, literally, it means gushing out in great quantity and all. There is no holding back of the Spirit. And dear friends, if there is no holding back, we are without excuse. 
It is there for us. Nobody can say, well, there's not enough for me. It doesn't suit me. There is a pouring out of it. There's an abundance of it. Remember, we'll read again in, in Titus, the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which is shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Through him, remember, the Lord himself said that he would send the Spirit, that he would send the Spirit, the Comforter to us. And we have the Spirit. And this is the promise that we have now. The one who himself has the Spirit without measure. He gives us the Spirit, gives his people an abundance all that you and I need of the Spirit. Well, what then does that do for them? What is promised here? The Spirit of grace and supplication. The Spirit of grace is promised. The similar to what we mentioned there. Because the Holy Spirit is the author of all and any grace that is ours. The grace of faith, if you want, love, peace, and of course prayer. The Lord is saying here, friends, my gift to you is not meager, it's not, not paltry in any way. It's poured out. It is poured out for you. The abundance of it is what is particularly uh, emphasized here. The people are going through difficulties and trials, but the Spirit is poured out. There's an abundance of it, enough for all. My gift for you is here for you. All we need of grace to live, friends, and to love and to excel faith and to pray will be given to us abundantly. That's the promise of Scripture here and elsewhere. What do we say elsewhere as well? What do we read Paul writing to the Corinthians? His grace is sufficient and his strength made perfect in our weakness. Now, Christian here today, have you not experienced that for yourself? Hasn't that been your experience time and time again? Maybe often times when you said, well, difficult times and you see no way out of a situation and then you're able to say, thank God for his grace. Thank God that he gave to me what I needed. Thank God for the abundance, the pouring out of his grace for me in these situations. How often it is for us that that is so. And as we live, friends, from day to day, the grace of God, if we believers, should be recognized by ourselves in our lives. We should recognize it. And we should be assured by it. But not only should that grace be seen in your life, it should also, and importantly, be acknowledged, seen by others. Your Christian, your Christianity, if you like, is not to be a private thing just. Oh, it's private in the sense of between you and God, first of all. But if you are the grace of God, it should be evident to others in how we live, what we say, what we do, and at the same time, what we do not do and what we do not say and where we do not and how we do not live. It should be evident in our lives. So, friend, I ask you, do you recognize in some measure, at least today, something of this grace in your own life, including the grace to pray and to come to God in prayer? The importance of prayer, friends. Quoting Thomas Watson, Watson said, the tree of mercy will not drop its fruit 
unless shaken by the hand of prayer. The tree of mercy will not drop its fruit unless shaken by the hand of prayer. And to have that prayer, we need the grace of God. We need the Spirit of God. But we've promised it in abundance for us. So this is then promised. There is for us the Spirit of the Spirit of grace. And finally also, there is supplications. The Spirit of grace and of supplications. Again, is this prayer as well? Well, yes, but a specific kind of prayer. It is not prayer of thanksgiving in and of itself, but it is having come to see your need that will be, as we mentioned earlier, there'll be repentance and sorrow for sin, and there'll be a confession of it. If such, in such supplications in our prayers. And with that awareness, when you're aware of your sin, and when you're aware of your wrongdoing, and when you're aware of your hopelessness on your own, you can't do anything against the enemy that is against you. And then what do you, surely you supplicate God. You plead to God. And here we have this earnestness, idea of earnest imploring is what is behind that idea. Do you know something of that in your own life, my friend? That earnestness. Or oh, to have that earnestness more than we do. How easy it is for us to come and, and just say a few words and that's it, finished, I've prayed. Have we really? Have we really? Have we supplicated God? Well, I'm hoping all that will work out. This is difficult. I can't see how things will work out for me. I'll just pray about it and a few words and that's it. Well, I've, I've done it, haven't I? Have we really supplicated? Have we really pled with God? Have we got into that spirit where we are not willing to let him go until he bless us? You see, this earnestness, friend, surely has to be there in this word, supplicating. Prayer is so important. Again, quoting someone, I can't remember who said it, you will no more find a living man without breath than a living soul without prayer. Prayer is so important for us. And if we are in the right spirit with God, whatever our situation Difficulties or not, especially in difficulties, this is how we should be. To be more in prayer. You know, some of my friends, well, I confess, I may have these things privately with us all, but all oh, that I was more in prayer in my own life. Do you know that yourself? And I mean prayer, real prayer. Wasn't it something maybe that the former generation were far better at than we are? Time in prayer, supplicating in prayer, pleading in prayer particularly. This is necessary <coughs> for us. As I said, this is not about prayer of thankfulness, but first of all, pleading for things with the Lord, for mercy, of course, for forgiveness and repentance, which as we see, if you had time to look at the rest of the verse, tied in some of that. So then, this supplicating. Something as well, uh, again, something that I read on this, uh, the word supplication is wrote. It is found, similarly, in this. In the olden days, 
when there was a war, a battle going on, that someone would tie an olive branch. We think of olive branches as of peace. Someone would tie an olive branch to a pole and wave it to indicate that we're pleading for mercy, one side pleading for mercy and for peace, particularly, and surrender. That's what the, behind the word supplicating is. And you can see how that can apply to ourselves. <coughs> for you and I, sinners moved by the Holy Spirit, what do we do? We desire peace with God. And he, the, the, the sinner supplicates, particularly by the enabling of the Spirit of God, seeking peace with God. And this, friends, is amazing grace indeed. When we who have been at war with God, that God himself gives us his Spirit to enable us to cry to him, to supplicate him for mercy <coughs> and forgiveness, for help in time of need. Oh, the importance of it all, the importance of prayer, of supplication, yes, of course, with thanksgiving, and yes, with praise, but there's this aspect of it as well that we must not forget. This, you see, friends, supplication, um, that aspect of prayer should not finish the day we're converted. It should be ongoing in our lives, right through our lives, the necessity of it. John Calvin says, God pours on them the spirit of grace and then the spirit of supplication in order to obtain that grace. I think it's a lovely thing, that, isn't it? Puts it all in perspective. God pours on them the spirit of grace and then the spirit of supplication in order to obtain that grace. How we would be better equipped and better Christians if we apply that to our own lives. Well then, in conclusion, there are a multitude of promises from God that he will bless us if we will but ask, and if we will ask being enabled by the Spirit of God. Isaiah 44, I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. There is a promise for us, friends. Maybe you're aware today of a dryness in your own soul. Maybe you're here today and you feel as if you're in a desert, and you are a desert in one sense. Well, my friend, here is the answer. Pray and supplicate the Lord to pour out the spirit of grace for us to enable us to supplicate him more than we do. But you say, oh, but, 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 but will he? Will he do it if, if I ask? My friend, if we would but ask more than we do, I believe we would know more of the blessing of God. The blessing of God upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The blessing of God upon the church, our own church and every church and the blessing of God upon the nation as well. And oh, how that is needed in our own day for each of us. And all of us as individuals, why then, friends, should we deprive ourselves of the blessing of God when he, our blessed Lord of hosts, 
is so willing to freely give if we will but ask. He promises it, but surely in the promise I will pour out that he promises this, but surely that we must have that spirit of grace and supplication to see our need, to see that he alone is able to help and to believe that he will help in our time of need. May the Lord bless his thoughts to us. Let us pray. We need, O oh Lord God, thy enabling by thy Holy Spirit in every situation we find ourselves in. Forgive us, we pray thee, for the way that we are so unmindful and forgetful. And even when we have times of blessing, how quickly we forget and go back to our old ways. Lord, have mercy upon us. Give to us a praying spirit to supplicate thee, to see the need for grace in time of need, and not to tire of coming to thee, pleading for mercy and forgiveness. Thou art willing and able to pour out upon us all oh, that we were more willing to cry to thee and to plead for that for ourselves. Bless us together, hear our prayers, spoken and silent. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Amen. We'll conclude in Psalm 143 and the second version of the psalm from verse 6 to verse 8. 143, the second version of the psalm. Lo, I do stretch my hands to thee, my help alone, for thou well understands all my complaint and moan. My thirsty soul desires and longeth after thee, as thirsty ground requires with rain refreshed to be. Six to eight, lo, I do stretch my hands.
intimations has followed, God willing, the evening service at the usual time of 6.30. Uh, the witness magazines are now available on the table in the vestibule. Uh, the Northern Presbytery is due to meet by Zoom on Tuesday at 12 noon. And uh, there's a congregational meeting on Thursday. Mr. McLean, the moderate, will meet with the congregation at 7.30. Meeting has been held so that the people in the congregation have an opportunity to give their views regarding the vacancy and to hopefully agree on a way forward. And the Kirk session will meet beforehand at 7 o'clock. The service on Sabbath the 19th of November at the usual times of 11 and 6.30 will, God willing, taken by, by Mr. Kevin MacDonald, the student. And a message has been received, some of you may know, that Reverend David Compton uh, in Canada passed away a few days ago. Mr. Compton was a retired minister who had charges in Prince Edward Island and Toronto, and latterly he was uh, worshipping with our small congregation in Smith Falls, Ontario. So we commit uh, his wife and his uh, family to the Lord at this time. These are all the intimations. <coughs> the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest on and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.